Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. It's good to be back. And welcome to those uh, who are joining us online. Hey, if you're just joining us uh, today, we are continuing our series in the book of Philippians called With Joy from Prison. So if you brought your Bible this morning, let me encourage you to turn to the book of Philippians uh, and chapter 2 and verse 19. Uh, If you're here this morning, you'd love to have a hard copy of a paper Bible. Uh, Just put up your hand and Micah and the team would love to put one in your hand uh, this morning so you can track along with us. Of course, you can also follow along with us on screen. Hey, uh, it's awesome. We're 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 pretty much halfway through this series. We're at the end of chapter 2 of Philippians. So we are halfway there. It sounds like a Bon Jovi song, doesn't it? Whoa, we're halfway there. (laughs) Nice. I can just see his beautiful face and his long locks, man. Brings back grade nine all over again. Hey, uh, listen, to get us up to speed this morning on what we're going to be reading, I'm going to give you a quick background uh, of the letter. Uh, Philippians was a letter that was written from Paul the Apostle to a church that was situated in the city of Philippi. And this is like 2,000 years ago. Um, and Paul has a deep connection with this church. As a matter of fact, he helped to plant this church and he's remained in close relationship with them over a long period of time. In fact, the church in Philippi was helping to sponsor Paul's mission all across Asia at that time. Uh, so Paul was going across the Roman Empire. He was proclaiming the good news about Jesus and he was setting up church and the Philippians helped helped him along with that. Now, many years later, Paul is under house arrest in Rome, which means that he is inside of a house. He is chained to the floor. Uh, There are guards stationed outside of his door. He cannot leave, but people can come in and visit with him uh, if they like, and they can come in and and bring him supplies, uh, of course, as well. And, And Paul is awaiting to be tried before Caesar's court. In other words, there is, a, there is a very real possibility that Paul could die for his faith. Now, I've tried to put myself in Paul's shoes in this situation. I mean, I mean this had to have been incredibly difficult for him. It would have been, there would have been some moments of doubt or even despair. I mean, sure, yeah, Paul is a spiritual giant. And, and yes, Paul leaned into Jesus with his whole heart. But that doesn't mean that Paul didn't experience despair. I mean, even Jesus himself, as he was going towards the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, had this deep emotional experience of despair. So why would Paul the Apostle be any different? Like me, Paul was still a frail, flesh and blood human being. So how did Paul get through this difficult trial? I mean, I thought that, you know, how would I have done it? How would I have gotten through this difficult experience that Paul was going through? Now, how about you? Have you ever experienced the dark night of the soul? You ever, you ever felt overwhelmed and the end of yourself, maybe full of fear and anxiety and, and doubt? deeply anxious about something that's coming down the pike towards you, not knowing what's going to happen next. You know, I think each and every one of us here, we have this in common. We have all been there. We've experienced it. I know I, know I have. How do you get through those difficult times? Well, one of the factors is that Paul had the right people around him. 
Paul had a band of brothers, a, a God squad of people who were, who were fully present with him through this difficult season of life. You see, the thing is, Paul understood the value of relationships, that it's actually pretty important to surround yourself with the right people because if you want to move in the right direction, you have to move with the right people. You know, recently I, I read this uh, old African proverb. It goes like this. It says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And Paul understood that our faith journey through life was never meant to be a solo sport. It's not like golf. It's a whole lot more like hockey. And, and so many of us, we think, well, I can just be like, what, what our culture says is the most important thing is to be this like rugged individualist, trying to make our own way, hacking our way through the wilderness all by myself. It's just me against the world. That, that somehow that, that symbolizes a truly strong person in our day and age. But that's not the picture of a maturing disciple of Jesus that we find in Scripture. You see, sprinkled throughout Paul's letters, he actually gives imagery that's quite a bit different than that. I mean, he would say, you know what, you are, we're kids in a family. We're members of a body. We're citizens in a kingdom. In other words, that when you surrendered your life to Jesus for the first time, you were born again into a supernatural community of interconnected relationships. So, so we were never meant to go alone. We were meant to go together. Now today we're going to walk through a section of Philippians that many people oftentimes will just kind of skim over. You see, Philippians has a lot of well-loved and famous passages in it. I mean, it's one of the most read letters of Paul in the New Testament. I mean, there are a lot of Christian coffee cup verses and t-shirt slogans and, and tat inspirations that you'll find all throughout Philippians. And, and so it's easy to race past this sections like this one in order to get to the next one that you really, really love. But we're not going to do that this morning. I said this morning, we're going to slow down. And we're going to take a good gander at this small little portion of Scripture that so many people often kind of skip over. You see, this section tells us a lot about the kind of people that Paul surrounded himself with. And it actually helps us to flesh out Everything that he's been telling us about humility and sacrifice and Jesus up to this point in the letter. We're actually going to discover that the people that Paul is describing are Jesus with skin on to Paul. That Jesus is actually working through these two people to minister to Paul's needs. And the two people that we're going to look at today in, in the story are a man named Timothy and another man named Epaphroditus. So I want to invite you with me into the text this morning on yet another exploration and we're going to look at these two types of companions that Paul actually needed in his life. And I'm hoping that each one of us today will discover something about the types of companions that we need in our own lives. So, let's look at the first one. What kind of people did Paul need to make it through this dark night of the soul? Well, first of all, Paul needed a Timothy to invest in. Let's look at, uh, start at verse 19. I'm just going to read the text for you this morning. You can follow along. Paul says this, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. And I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. 
So who was Timothy? Well, well Timothy was, was Paul's apprentice. He was his, his protege. Uh, Timothy was, was from a town called Lystra. Uh, his mother was Jewish. His father was a Greek, so he was, he was a half-Jew. Uh, and growing up, there were two key influencers in Timothy's life, his mother and his grandmother. Hey, never underestimate the power of a mama and a grandmama praying for their kids. Now, when Paul came through Lystra, he recruited Timothy to join his team. And so as Timothy's mentor, Paul started developing this close relationship with Timothy. Timothy, of course, was a lot younger than Paul. He was about half his age. And Paul referred to Timothy as his dearly beloved son in the faith, which gives you a little bit of insight into the kind of the closeness and the intimacy of the relationship they shared together. So Paul taught Timothy. He taught Timothy, well, this is what it means to follow Jesus. And he trained Timothy in the ministry as Timothy went along with Paul all across the Roman Empire. So it is no surprise that when Paul was finally shipped off to Rome, that Timothy soon followed afterwards. Timothy was that one person who came alongside Paul and helped him when Paul needed it the most as Paul was sitting in prison. He would have, you know, attended to his needs. He would have ran his errands. He would have purchased his food. And I imagine they would have spent a lot of time together talking and praying and just helping to eliminate that boredom that would have come from days of sitting by himself in a prison cell. So what was Timothy like? I mean, because Paul's plan was ultimately he's going to send Timothy ahead of him into the, uh, to the church in the Philippians. So Timothy, this, for Timothy, this wasn't something new. Paul actually had done this with Timothy a lot of times before. He'd sent Timothy on to different churches to kind of check in on them, see how they were doing. Uh, but this would have actually been the first time that Timothy had ever gone to Philippi. So this letter was going out, and it was actually going to be brought by Epaphroditus, and it was going to the church in Philippi, and Paul was saying, hey, Timothy's coming, right? So Paul figured, well, in the letter, I should tell them a little bit about Timothy before he arrives, because he wanted to make sure that they understood that Timothy was trustworthy. So Paul kind of decided to break out Timothy's spiritual resume. And I think it's interesting, as, as we read about Timothy, we discover a little bit about the kinds of companions that we want to have in our God squad, our band. So let me look at three attributes of Timothy this morning, and I invite you to look with me. Number one, Timothy was someone who was genuinely concerned for people. See, Paul said that. He said that Timothy is genuinely concerned for the welfare of God's people. So what that means is Timothy actually really cared about how people were doing. So he was the type of person that would laugh with people. He was the type of person who would cry with people. He was the kind of guy that if he hadn't heard from you in a while, he'd probably reach out and say, hey, how you doing? I just want to check in and see if you're doing okay. Timothy's concern wasn't plastic. It wasn't fake. It didn't run skin, just skin deep. Timothy's care was authentic. He really cared about people and how they were doing. Second, Paul says that Timothy was someone who pursued Christ's interests. See, Paul said there were, there were many people who seek their own interests. And I, I think if we roll back the tape to a little bit earlier on in the letter, you might remember that uh, Paul was writing about these people in Rome who were preaching Christ for all the wrong reasons. And the reason they were doing it, they were doing it out of envy and rivalry because they want to kind of stir up trouble for Paul while he was in prison. Uh, because, I mean, they, they kind of saw Paul as a little bit of a threat to their power and their position in the church community. Um, so for them, the kingdom of God was a little bit more like Game of Thrones. But Timothy was not like that. Instead, he sought Christ's interests, Paul said, and not his own. See, here's the thing about Timothy is Timothy wasn't interested in building his own platform. Timothy simply, like Paul, just wanted to make much of Jesus. 
You know, I, I thought about this. I thought, I thought, you know, if Timothy had a social media account, you wouldn't find him posturing or promoting himself. You wouldn't see any humble brags on his pages or curated content exposing his assets or his accomplishments, right? He wouldn't be kind of using other people to prop himself up or leveraging how spiritual he was just to show, you know, how important he was. And you know what's interesting about Timothy? Is you actually can't find a single record in the New Testament of Timothy ever saying anything or ever writing anything. I mean, there are two letters in the New Testament that are written after Timothy, but he didn't write them. He just received them. Paul wrote them. But if you go through the narrative of uh, any of the letters, any of the book of Acts or anything like that, you don't see Timothy actually saying anything. He's just kind of there in the background helping out Paul. But I imagine that that's probably the way Timothy would have wanted it because Timothy was too busy pursuing Christ's interests rather than his own interests. Here's the third thing Paul says about Timothy. He said, Timothy was someone who was eager to serve. He said, Timothy has served with me in the gospel. And and in fact, Paul says this was Timothy's quote-unquote proven worth. In other words, he proved that he was somebody who was worth listening to. He proved that he was somebody who was worth following, somebody worth modeling your life after. And how did he do that? What was the proof, what was the demonstration that Timothy was that kind of a person? He served. It was through his life of service. He worked alongside Paul for years. He went where Paul went. He did what Paul did. He endured what Paul did. He had the stories. He had the scars to prove that he was a servant of Christ. And because of this, Paul says, you know what? This is the guy. This is the guy that I'm going to send on my behalf because he's a servant. And he's demonstrated his service. So why did Paul invest in Timothy? Well, I mean, just generally speaking, I mean, Paul, first of all, knew that he needed to be investing in other people. Because, in fact, that's what Jesus wants all of his followers to do, isn't it? We are a people who are supposed to invest in people. You know, that's the Great Commission, isn't it? Every believer is supposed to be a reproducing disciple who makes disciples, who makes disciples, who makes disciples. Stamp it, stamp it, roll races, no backing out. It's, that's, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to disciple people. You're supposed to invest in people. And Paul knew that. Paul understood that. And he took the words of Jesus seriously, and he lived it out in his own life. But Paul also understood that the future of the mission, the future of the church, would one day be in the hands of the next generation. And because of that, Paul says, I'm going to invest in somebody half my age. I'm going to invest in Timothy. And you know what? It's interesting is that Paul didn't actually just choose Timothy blindly. It wasn't like, hey, line up. Oh, you're, yeah, I like you. Come over here. You're going to join my team. That's not how it worked. Paul chose Timothy because he actually recognized God's activity in Timothy's life. See, Timothy had something that we might call spiritual velocity. His, his heart and his character were already moving in the direction towards Jesus. Right? So he wasn't stalled, going nowhere. He wasn't in reverse, walking away from Jesus. He actually had spiritual velocity moving towards Jesus already. And Paul recognized that and he observed that. And it's a fact that the churches that Timothy was part of, they also recognized that. Let me show you this. It's in Acts chapter 16 and verse 1. Here's what it says. He says, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. I mean, Lystra and Iconium, like, there's some distance there. So word was getting around about this guy named Timothy. There was something about Timothy, something special about Timothy, spiritual velocity in his life. So his character made people take notice. He had the character of Christ. 
And Paul also took notice. And so Paul decided that he was going to recruit him. Now, can you imagine that? I mean, that would have been pretty exciting, right? Like the Paul the Apostle, the Paul the Apostle is like, yeah, I want you to join my team. Can you imagine being recruited by Paul the Apostle? I mean, Timothy was probably pretty stoked about this idea, right? Wouldn't you have been stoked to follow Paul? And I kind of thought that until I read the next verse. Let's look at the next verse. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Can you imagine? How would you like that for your first day of internship? (laughs) Welcome to the team, Micah. Would you like that with or without freezing? (laughs) By the way, if you're here today and you don't know what circumcision is, uh, I mean, talk to your parents or speak to one of our youth or children's staff. They'd be more than willing to talk to you about it. (laughs) It's a Bible word. Can't take it out. But can you imagine? I mean, that that took dedication. And you might be wondering, well, that's kind of weird. I mean, why did he have to be circumcised? And, you know, it's it's a long explanation. But basically, in order to gain acceptance and to eliminate barriers when they were going to visit churches that were mostly made of Jews, they had to get Timothy to do this because he hadn't been circumcised. And they were bringing letters from Jerusalem to these other churches. And so they didn't want any barriers. And so Timothy took one for the team. And if there was anyone that ever questioned Timothy's proven worth, Okay, there was no question, no question that he was in this to serve. Now, as it turns out, Paul's investment in Timothy was a pretty good one, wouldn't you think? I mean, Timothy was the kind of person that Paul could trust. And at the end of the day, Timothy was the one who lived like Jesus and served like Jesus and came alongside Paul to help him in his need. Proven worth. It was a good investment. But Paul didn't just need a Timothy to invest in. Paul also needed an Epaphroditus to trust in. Let's continue in the text, verse 25. Paul says, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So, receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Well, who is Epaphroditus? You know, interestingly, we, we don't actually know a lot about Epaphroditus except what's found in the, in the book of Philippians. He's not mentioned anywhere else in the, in the New Testament. But you can actually learn a lot from Philippians. First of all, he's a disciple. He's a believer in Christ. Second, he was from Philippi. And third, uh, we know that he was likely a Gentile just by the nature of what his name was. But we also know that the Philippians sent Epaphroditus out on a mission. Epaphroditus would have been carrying a good sum of money with him across the Roman Empire so that he could reach Paul and help Paul survive in prison. Remember, back in that day, uh, anyone who was a prisoner was never a prisoner for a long period of time. You were a prisoner until your trial came, and then after that, something would happen. So they didn't have long-term prison sentences. But while you were in prison, the, the, the Roman establishment, the government did not provide for any of your subsistence. 
So there was no food. There were no magazines. There were no free razors. There was no college education. Nada. You didn't get anything from the Roman government. So you basically had to depend on your family. You had to depend on your friends to come alongside and provide you with what you needed in order to survive. So Epaphroditus was coming with a big gift so that Paul could continue to survive while he was in prison. And somewhere along the way, I mean, this was a long and dangerous journey from Philippi to Rome. I mean, this would have taken months by land or by sea, braving the elements, dodging bandits, grinding it out. You know, I'm, I'm going to go for a walk in the mountains for maybe two or three hours, and my legs are just gassed. I'm just tired and exhausted from climbing all those things. Can you imagine doing that every single day, eight to ten hours a day, for months on end? That's what he was doing in order to bring this money all the way across the Roman Empire to Paul. Well, somewhere along the way, Epaphroditus became ill. So ill that they thought he would die. And, and you got to keep in mind that in, in the ancient world, there were no hospitals, there were no antibiotics, there was no modern medical science. If you got really sick in the ancient world, like, I mean, really sick, people just assumed that you were going to die. So the fact that Epaphroditus actually lived through this ordeal was, in fact, a miracle in, in Paul's eyes. But now he'd recovered. And now he was so healthy that he could actually travel again. So that's healthy. And in fact, Paul, he would become the mailman of this letter. See, when, when Epaphroditus showed up, he wouldn't have made that journey across Rome alone. He would have been with some people because he's carrying money. Back then, you had to protect yourself. So he would have been coming with a group of people. Meanwhile, you know, Epaphroditus gets sick along the way. They show up in Rome. They leave him there. And then they would have gone back to Philippi. So when they got back to Philippi, what would they have done? They would have said, oh, by the way, Epaphroditus is sick. Probably going to die. And the Philippians, of course, were distressed by all of this. So now Epaphroditus is healthy. And he's going to go back to, uh, to Philippi, and he's going to be the mailman. He's actually going to be delivering the letter that says, oh, by the way, Epaphroditus is healthy, right? I mean, can you imagine? Like suddenly Epaphroditus just walks into the village who they thought they were dead, and like he's suddenly alive. That would just amazing. It'd be like a, a Monty Python moment, you know? Oh, I'm not quite dead yet. Okay, so boom, all of a sudden he's alive. Incredible. What was Epaphroditus like? What was it about Epaphroditus that made him a great companion for Paul in his ministry and in this season of life? Well, a few things. Let's look at what Paul says about him. First of all, Epaphroditus was someone who came alongside. Paul used two phrases to describe him. He says he's a fellow worker, and he says he's a fellow soldier. What's a fellow worker? Well, a fellow worker is somebody who comes alongside and works alongside of you. So you're not left alone doing dishes. You're not left alone shoveling ditches. The person rolls up their sleeves in order to make the load easier for you as you're doing the work. But on the other hand, a fellow soldier is somebody who stands beside you in battle. This is the imagery that Paul would have understood, having been surrounded by soldiers. Shield to shield, shoulder to shoulder, spear to spear. These are the kinds of people that will fight for you. These are people, people, people who would die for you, who would defend you with their own lives. And this is the kind of person that Epaphroditus was. He was ready to work, and he was ready to fight. But Epaphroditus was also somebody who cared about people, just like Timothy. Epaphroditus was distressed, right? Because the Philippians thought he was dead. And this troubled him enough that he was willing to make the journey back home. I mean, think about that. If you took that journey and it almost killed you, would you be like, woohoo, I want to go back and do that again? Of course not. You'd be like, I, I'm, I'm staying here. I got to get me a house in Rome. That's what I would have been doing, right? But he cared for the people so much that he was willing to put skin in the game, risk it all again to go back to Philippi and tell them 
I'm not quite dead yet. His care had legs. His care had hands. But finally, we say, Paul says that Epaphroditus was someone who was willing to suffer. I mean, he almost died. Um, he was willing to risk his life. He was willing to pay the cost in order to help a brother out. And it's interesting, right? We're talking about sacrifice here. We're not talking about inconvenience. And, and I think in our modern day, when we use the word sacrifice, oftentimes what we're really talking about is inconvenience. So this wasn't a $10 Starbucks card that he gave to somebody to make them feel better. He laid his entire life down in order that Paul might live. That's sacrifice, substitution, his life for Paul's life. And Paul says, you know what? People like that, you have to honor them because they're so rare. Honor men such as these. And that was who Epaphroditus was. So Paul had a Timothy to invest in. He had an Epaphroditus to trust in. What about you? Who do you have? Do you have people in your life to help you in the journey? Do you have people in your life who are going to be with you through those dark nights of the soul? Do you have an Epaphroditus in your life? I mean, do you have a brother or sister in Christ who's, who you know is just going to come alongside of you? Someone who's working with you in the struggle? Somebody who's standing with you in the battle? You know, I, I, I talk to so many Christians and, 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 and I find that so many of them just say, you know what, I'm just going to white knuckle it and I'm just going to do it on my own. Like, like as if that's a sign of, of being super spiritual or being super strong in the Lord. I ain't going to trust nobody. I'm just going to trust God and, and go for it. And I think that that's more informed by our culture than it is by scripture. You know, the truth is, the reality is, there, there, there are no self-made people we're, we're all just proverbial turtles on a fence post, right? You're walking through the forest, you see a fence post, and you see a turtle up on top of the fence post. I guarantee you, that turtle did not climb up there themselves, right? Somebody put the turtle up there. And in the same way, we are all proverbial tenor, uh, turtles on a fence post. We do not get ourselves to where we are by ourselves. Everybody who is somebody got there with the help of somebody else. I don't care who you are. And if you don't believe that, you're probably naive or you're narcissistic or you're self-deceived. Because the truth is, we all need somebody and it takes somebody to make us into somebody else. And that's God's way. And we find that in scripture. Ecclesiastes reminds us that it is better to do life with others than it is to do life solo. Let me read from Ecclesiastes 4. It's a well-known verse. Two are better than one. Why? Well, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Now again, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. Fellow soldiers, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. You know, some of you know that several years ago, I decided to uh, renovate my kitchen um, in my old house. And I, and I did this in a, in a bit of a moment of insanity. Uh, you see, because just before that, not long before that, I just enrolled into a doctoral program and was up to my eyeballs in homework, right? So 
thousands of pages of reading and papers to write, et cetera, et cetera. But I thought to myself, hey, I've got some free time. Why not gut my whole kitchen and renovate it by myself? And of course, the wise and wonderful Karen said to me, honey, do you really think you have time for this? I mean, you're in school, and this summer you're going to be in the United States for about three weeks. Of course, my response is, honey, I've got time in my life. I can make this happen. I guarantee you, before I go off to school in the United States, I will have the whole project done. After all, I was a one-man, handyman band. Well, as the story goes, for several months, we, uh, we were eating microwave dinners washing dishes in our bathroom sink. And as kitchen projects go, it took actually a a whole lot longer than I had anticipated. Imagine that. And by the time I went off to school that summer, the kitchen counters were in, but there was no plumbing. There was no dishwasher. There was nothing. And Karen was still washing dishes in the bathroom sink. But I promised wise and wonderful Karen that once I got back from school in two weeks, I'd have the plumbing done, I'd have the dishwasher installed, and life would go back to normal. Well, many of you know the rest of the story. I went down to Kentucky, and I studied for three weeks, and on my second last day there, I blew out my Achilles tendon playing basketball with people half my age. It's the cost of mentoring, I guess. And when I got back to Canada, the entire kitchen project grinded to a halt. And so the dishes were still getting washed in the bathrooms. We were eating on paper plates, and the one-man handyman band kind of broke up. But of course, the wise and wonderful Karen was the epitome of patience and grace with her husband. Now, thankfully, I had a really good friend who kind of came along to help. And my friend's name was Dan. And Dan was a handyman. And he agreed to join my band. And so Dan the handyman joined my band, and it was grand. So... While I laid there, sweating on my pleather couch, binge-watching Netflix in a non-air-conditioned house, Dan came in, and over the period of a couple of days, he replumbed my sink, and he hooked up my dishwasher. And this was no small feat. I mean, this wasn't an inconvenience. This was a sacrifice. And there was much rejoicing in the Chartrand home, and particularly from wise and wonderful Karen. And I lived yet another day. (laughs) Now, Dan is more than a handyman to me. Dan's also a really, really good friend. Matter of fact, if I need a sounding board, Dan's the one guy I'll call among a couple of other good friends. Dan's one of the guys that I'll, I'll ask to pray for me. He's a fellow soldier. He's a fellow worker. He's an Epaphroditus. I wonder this morning, do you have an Epaphroditus in your life? Are you willing to admit that you can't do this on your own? Are you willing to trust yourself with other people? Are you willing to cultivate relationships with people? Do you have an Epaphroditus? But more importantly, here's the other question. Are you an Epaphroditus to somebody else? Now, I realize that Epaphroditus are sometimes hard to find. It's hard enough to say Epaphroditus, isn't it? Say that 10 times quickly. But this is one of the reasons why we encourage each and every one of us here at Crosspoint is to get connected in a home group. Because we think that home groups are great atmospheres and places to develop relationships with Epaphroditus. As a matter of fact, my home group in Edmonton, two of my Epaphroditus were in my home group here in Edmonton, Dan and Curtis. 
That's where we really, really deepened our relationship and got connected. And it is that relationship has continued even unto this day. See, home groups are more than just Bible studies. They are communities of disciples doing life together, living on mission together. So I encourage, if you want to find an Epaphroditus, maybe consider getting connected in a home group. And of course, there's details. You want to get connected in a home group, flip up your bulletin, look at the top left corner. All the details are there. But let me ask you another question. Do you have a Timothy in your life? Are there people who you are investing in, people who are younger than you, people with less experience than you, in whose lives you can make a contribution? You know, we heard about a great opportunity this morning to invest in lives, right? Kids capers. What a way to invest. Maybe you can show up and show love to a kid, to a camper. Maybe that's an opportunity for you to invest. But of course, on the flip side, the other question I would ask is, do you have a Paul in your life? Is there somebody that's investing in you? Someone with wisdom, someone with experience. Hey, let me just tell you this morning from personal experience that I have gained so much from both of these kinds of relationships. I have many Pauls in my life, Allens and Rons and Keiths, and these guys have poured into my life, and I wouldn't be who I am today if I did not have those relationships, them being Jesus with skin on, coming into my life and investing in me. But I've also had a lot of Timothys in my life, you know, the Collins and the Micahs and the Rebeccas and, and the Bens and the, and the Keiths and, and so many others. There's Jonathans all throughout these last 27 years of my life that I've been in ministry. And I'll tell you something about Timothys. The thing about Timothys is it's not a give, give, give relationship. I have gained so much. I have been sharpened so much. I have benefited so much. And I've learned so much from being in relationship with other people in mentorship that's formal or informal. I think I've gained more than they did from being in that relationship with them. So do you have a Timothy in your life? You know, I spend a lot of time having conversations with millennials. Millennials meaning essentially young adults who are in their 20s and 30s. And my doctoral dissertation is about millennials and spiritual formation of millennials. I love millennials, two thumbs up. Okay, millennials are awesome. You know what I've discovered from millennials? A lot of them wanna have mentors. A lot of them actually want to have intergenerational relationships with mature older adults. Because they, they recognize wisely that there is so much more that they can learn from older believers who have kind of been around the block a few times. You know what I'm saying? That there's a wealth of wisdom and life experience that they'd love to just be able to tap into. The problem is, is that they just don't know how. They can't, they can't figure out how to get the ball rolling. How do you initiate the conversation? How do you make it happen? I mean, you just walk up to an older person and says, hey, I don't know you, but please, would you be my mentor? Like, how does that work? But you know what else I find? Is that, is that I find that there are those from the older generation who think that they actually have nothing to offer. They think maybe well, they're outdated or maybe they're, they're out of touch. Some feel like they, they were never mentored. And so if I was never mentored, I, I'm kind of inadequate. How could I ever mentor somebody else? Listen, we're talking informal mentorship, just relationship. We're not talking about some special procedure that you're doing surgery on. We're just talking informal mentorship. But you feel that way. And they also have no idea to connect, how to connect, how to initiate that conversation with the younger generation. Hey, this is an interesting problem. And I love solving interesting problems. But I'll be honest, I'm not quite sure how to solve this one. But I aim this morning 
to make this the talk of the town here today at Cross Point. I aim this morning to put the gauntlet down. Let me ask you, what if we all worked together to solve this problem? Let me, um, let me suggest some ideas. Here's one. What if when we say, high five somebody who doesn't look like you, you actually went and high fived somebody who doesn't look like you? That you actually were courageous enough and risky enough to step out of your comfortable circle of the three or four people you know and go and meet somebody of a different generation? Somebody whose skin is sagging down to their knees and is bald on top. <laughs> Speaking to millennials. Or the reverse. What if you did that? What if you stepped out and said, I'm going to give this a shot? Introduce yourself. Ask a few questions. I wondered this morning, is there anybody courageous enough to try that? Second, what if we all showed up at Crosspoint events? And I mean, what if we showed up at events that were not just our own age-specific events, but events that all generations are actually going to be at? And it might not have that cool and that hip vibe, or it might be, have too much of that cool and hip vibe for you, but what if you showed up anyway? with the goal of not just supporting the event, because we don't do events, so you'll support events. No, we do events to build community. So what if you showed up at the event and you said, you know what, I'm in. I'm going to build community. And not just with my peeps, but I'm going to build community with people who are not like me. A kaleidoscope of ages. A kaleidoscope of ethnicities. A kaleidoscope of genders. The people of God coming together in true tapestry community. What if? Third, what if we launch more intergenerational home groups? We need leaders. Want to step up? We need you. Fourth, what if our older generation invited a cluster of millennials over for dinner? You finally empty that deep freeze. You have no idea what's at the bottom of it. Now's the time to discover. Or what if our millennials invited a cluster of boomers out for dinner with no strings attached? You might actually get a free dinner. I don't know. Just saying. Now, this is no strings attached. So, I mean, it's not saying that there's going to be a, a beautiful and bright future together. It's just saying we're just getting together. We're building relationship. But out of that, something amazing could emerge. You will be shocked, you will be surprised how much you can learn from each other, and you will be surprised actually what, what you're going to discover about them and how much they're like you. Now I realize that all the above will feel awkward and uncomfortable, but doing anything worthwhile is always awkward and uncomfortable when you first begin. But if you play it safe, you will be missing out and so will the future of the kingdom of God. The bottom line, friends, who I love, thanks for letting me kick you in the butt. The bottom line is it's going to take an investment. It's going to take time. It's going to take resources. It's going to take creativity. Paul understood that. So did Timothy. So did Epaphroditus. But if we do it together, we will be all the better. 
I wonder today, is there anybody courageous enough to make that investment? So, we're going to give you a couple of minutes in prayer at the end of our gathering. As we do, it's our practice, um, as for now, just to take a time to reflect and to pray and to say, King Jesus, I surrender my life to you afresh. King Jesus, what would you say to me today? I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to just pray. And uh, it's our soft ending. We're going to have some music in the background, just a time for you to reflect. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know, i got a dark night of the soul. I'm going through something. And I actually need somebody to come alongside and pray with me. We've got the prayer team over here who would love to be able to come alongside you and pray with you. And um, maybe while we're praying together, you could go over there or at the end of the gathering, we invite you to go over there. This is a place of prayer, a time of prayer. It's so nice, isn't it, to have a time where we can actually just stop and reflect and pray in community. So I'm going to give you a couple minutes. Jesus is here. Jesus is both dangerous and safe. And he's for you. He invites you into relationship. Let's take a couple minutes to pray, and then I'll come back and close. But your heart was tired Feel the worst and felt the fire Lay it all down Lay it all down Filled with all those anxious thoughts And your doubts became your God Lay it all down Lay it all down At the feet Our King Jesus, who was the humble servant who sacrificed himself for us because you loved us so dearly. We just admit that uh, this kind of kingdom community is beyond our own limits and we need you. So would you help us to live in the gospel fully and completely? 
to surrender ourselves in your love to your leadership. Would you empower us by your Holy Spirit to be the people that you want us to be, called by yourself into a body, into a family, into a priesthood, into a kingdom, together. Show us how to do that and what we should do. Thank you that you are for us. Thank you for for just modeling for us the way. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Well, friends, let me remind you of who you are. You are the people of God. You are called by God into his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.
Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.